Now, I invite you to take your Bibles, please. We want to conclude this series on character that counts. Uh, We've been looking at Galatians chapter 5 now for about four weeks, and today we want to conclude uh, with a message on our character in relationship to ourselves. If you'd open up your Bibles, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. And again, uh, we want to read these couple of verses uh, beginning at verse 22. So will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? Hopefully by the time we read at this time, we have really allowed the Holy Spirit to impress and to imprint on our hearts uh, the power of these verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Uh, we've already looked at those clusters of fruit. Today we want to uh, which has to do with faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice, against such thing there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Let us live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Walking with the Spirit is something that is so very important in each of our lives. God has saved us by His grace. He's given to us the Holy Spirit who is resident within us. And it's our desire as Christ followers to keep in step with the Spirit of God who is at work in each one of our lives. I believe down deep in each one of our hearts is the desire to be a better person, to grow in the grace which is in Jesus Christ, to develop our characters and to develop our abilities for the glory of God. In some cases, however, this can almost become a an obsession, we, we are compelled to do certain things because we mistakenly believe that our value is linked to what we do rather than who we are. We need to understand as the family of God that God saves us by His grace, He's made us in His image, and He's transformed us into brand new creations in Jesus Christ, and He wants us to be very thankful for who we are. All of us are different. All of us have been made uniquely in the image of God. And so as we think through this particular passage, as it relates to these qualities we need to develop within our own selves, with our own being, this is what's going to help us to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, One of the most Uh, effective aspects of building character is to be comfortable with who we are. Uh, Sometimes we see other people and we wish, oh, uh, we'd like to be like this person or that person or this athlete or that athlete, etc. But when God supernaturally created us, he made us all unique individuals Uh, made in his image. We all have different personalities, different perspectives. We're not robots, We have unique temperaments and gifts, and God has given all of us unique passions and ability. So we all need to learn to just be comfortable with who we are and not worry about uh, anyone else because God has created us in his image, 
He's recreated us through the power of the gospel so that we can be all that he has purposed for us in Christ. Our value is not based on what we do. Our value is based on who we are. And that is something that we need to grab onto. God is much more concerned about who we are, what's going on on the inside of our lives, than he is about our outward conduct. Because our conduct can never be right if our character on the inside is wrong. And so it's very important that we focus in on being what God's called us to be rather than always think about doing. Now, doing is good. God gives us gifts. He gives us abilities. But our value does not depend on the amount of work we do, on the amount of service we do. Our value depends on the fact that God has made us unique individuals. You have been created for a specific purpose, for a specific destiny, and God wants to be at work within you, molding you and making you to be more and more like him. The fruit of the Spirit has to do with our inner character, and that's what Paul has been speaking about here in Galatians chapter 5. And he's been describing to us what it means to walk in the Spirit. And there are three main truths that we've grabbed onto as we have worked our way through this passage. When we're in step with the Spirit, first of all, we accomplish or we fulfill the law of love. God wants us to love him supremely, and he wants us to love others authentically. He's created us to love him and to love one another. And that is the essence of the law of love. We're not under obligation. We do it because of the transformation that has happened in our lives. Number two, we are in step with the spirit when we avoid the desires of the sinful nature. We've talked a lot about this, the war between the flesh and the spirit. We all face it, but it's through the power of the spirit working within us that we crucify the old nature and we feed this new nature that God has given to us. And then number three, we accentuate the fruit of the spirit. These are the character traits that God wants us to develop internally so that our outward conduct is reflective of what God is doing inside each one of us. All too often, <clears throat> the emphasis is on what we do. Uh, the emphasis rather needs to be on what God is doing in us and through us. And over the last number of weeks, we've looked at these various clusters of fruit uh, we looked at the first cluster, which is our character in relation to God, love, joy, and peace. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this second cluster, which is patience, kindness, and goodness. And that has to do with our relationships with one another. But today we want to look at this last cluster, which has to do our character in relationship to ourselves. How many times when you were a youngster would people ask you the question, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And uh, sometimes we knew the answer, sometimes we thought we knew, at other times it was a wild guess and a shot in the dark. Here in Galatians chapter 5, Paul tells us what God wants us to be as we continue this pursuit after Jesus Christ. We see Jesus must be the one 
person that we are going after every day. We need to be in hot pursuit after Christ. That our desire is in our work lives, in our family lives, in our church life, that we grow so close to Jesus that we begin to resemble him. And these qualities that we want to look at today are actually indispensable if we're to evidence a character that counts. Also, I believe these qualities will help us not to fall into the trap of what many are experiencing, overcommitment and burnout. Now, the first quality we are to develop this character trait in ourselves, he describes in verse 22 as faithfulness. Now, the foundation of this character trait of faithfulness is faith. That is, complete confidence in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. Notice he speaks to this specifically in Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. He says, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but notice, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, that is declared righteous by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one is justified. So the foundation of this particular fruit is our personal faith in Jesus Christ. And when we place our faith in him, transformation occurs. We pass from death unto life. Now, the function of faithfulness, however, is twofold. Indeed, this particular quality of faithfulness is not only a trait, it's the only character trait of the nine that is found in both Paul's list of spiritual gifts and here in his list of spiritual graces in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. In other words, scripturally speaking, faithfulness is not only a capacity, it's not only a spiritual gift that we need to develop, it is a character trait that must characterize our lives as growing Christ followers. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, Paul speaks of faithfulness or faith as a spiritual gift. And a spiritual gift is a capacity that God gives to every single one of us which needs to be stirred up and developed. There are some 22 spiritual gifts, one of which is the gift of faith. The text says there in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, he gave to some faith. And that spiritual gift of faith is the ability to believe God in a big way. The person who has the gift of faith does not listen to the naysayers. The person who has this gift has vision. He has perspective. The person who has this spiritual gift of faith has the ability to see the big picture and many things that would escape someone else. They're able to experience this incredible sense of grace and power because they are in a relationship to Jesus Christ. And I've said many times, The only thing that will keep East Bay from fulfilling its vision is our inability to believe God for that which is beyond us. So the person with faith has that ability to see things that many miss 
And they also have the ability to encourage and to stimulate others to follow hard after the Lord Jesus. The person gifted in faith is one who reasons why not instead of no way when facing insurmountable challenges. It is a working faith. It is a faith that thanks God for the results even before the results are obvious. So this gift of faith is something that many in the body of Christ have, but very few of us exercise because we don't understand that faith, faithfulness, is a capacity to accomplish big things for God, and God calls every single one of us in one way or another to trust God for that which is beyond ourselves. It is active obedience to God, and it it encourages us to attempt great things from which many may shy away. Now, according to Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, James chapter 2, Abraham is a great example of this. Remember, Abraham becomes righteous not because of his works, but because of his faith. However, after he experiences the transformation of the gospel, his faith does mighty exploits for God, not the least of which is his willingness to sacrifice his only son, the son of promise, the son through which the Messiah would come, his willingness to put him on an altar and be willing to slay his own son because God asked him to do that, even though he didn't understand why. And you remember, Abraham is just about ready to kill his son, and he's stopped by the angel of the Lord because God wanted to see his faith. And when he saw his faith, he intervened, and there was a ram in the thicket, and that ram became the sacrifice. You see, Abraham had tremendous faith in God that even if he did slay his son, God would resurrect him from the grave. And so faithfulness or faith is a spiritual gift that God gives, but it's also a character trait reflective of a heart in tune with the Holy Spirit. And again, this can be traced back to the very heart of God. Again, the scripture affirms in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Here it is, underline it in chartreuse, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So faith, faithfulness is not only a capacity we need to develop to do great things for God, but it's also a character trait that God produces within us so that we are more reflective of him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24, the Bible says the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. You see, our God... Man, get a hold of this. Our God is faithful. He is reliable. He is dependable. He is one that we can put our total faith and trust in. And if that is how God has displayed his commitment to us, then we as his people need to develop this character trait of faithfulness, reliability, 
We don't wimp out at the last moment. We don't make a last minute phone call and say we can't show up. We are faithful. We are dependable. We say we're going to do something, we follow through. If we're going to make a phone call, we follow through. If we make an appointment, we keep the appointment. We are faithful. We are reliable. We are dependable. And if God is faithful and there's no question about it, then faithfulness, this character trait, must be a key component in our lives. And it's what the Holy Spirit produces within us. As we allow the Holy Spirit to keep working on us and molding us and shaping us, not only do we use our faith to do great exploits for God, but we also use our faith in terms of how we live our lives in being dependable and reliant, uh, self-reliant, and a kind of a person that everyone can trust. And this quality is, is rare indeed in today's consumer-oriented world where everyone's out to fulfill their own interests. Very interesting to me. It used to be that church was something that had a priority in people's lives. Today, church has just become another option on Sunday. It's something we do if we don't have something else to do. There's not that same kind of commitment, that same kind of reliability. We come to church if it's convenient for us. But this business of faithfulness, this is something that God calls us to do and to cultivate in our lives. And faithfulness for God's people is not optional. It's to be original equipment. The Holy Spirit's the one that we need to be listening to. He wants us to be authentic and real. Follow through on our promises. When we commit to doing something for the kingdom, we don't maneuver our way out of it. We're not imprisoned by the status quo. We live life on the cutting edge because the Holy Spirit is alive and well within our hearts. Now, what's the future of a faithful servant? Well, in Proverbs 28, 20, we read, a faithful man will be richly blessed. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to experience the blessing of God? I mean, let's just talk about it. Do you really want to be blessed? Do you want to experience the power of God in your life? Well, then you need to exercise this particular character trait of faithfulness. God is looking for a few good men and women who will be faithful, who will not be controlled by how the wind's blowing, but they are being controlled by the living God who is at work within them, cultivating this quality of dependence and reliance and trustworthiness. Are we developing this trait? That's the question we must ask ourselves. Number two, gentleness. The character trait of faithfulness has to do with our service. This character trait of gentleness has to do with our spirit. Now, a gentle spirit is not a natural character trait. It's spirit-produced. The concept of gentleness actually is very disturbing and counterintuitive to our culture, our 21st century mindset. We think about a gentle person as being very insecure or lacking in confidence or being easily influenced or having no backbone or being lazy or making quick compromises. 
to kind of, to, to, uh, kind of paraphrase Chuck Swindoll's statement, he said, a gentle person is sort of a, a cross between a wimp and a wallflower. Well, that's how we think about gentleness. But let me give you some examples of a gentle spirit from the scriptures. First and foremost, we have the example of the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, 28 and 29, he exclaims, Come to me, who, those of you who are weary and burdened, and I will get, give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here it is. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, in this passage, is disclosing his spirit. It is a gentle spirit. It is not a weak spirit, but it is gentle. Sometimes we think a gentle person is a weakling. That's not the case of Christ. He has some pretty harsh words to say to the hypocrites and to the religious establishment of his day. For example, in Matthew chapter 23, he calls the religious establishment hypocrites, blind guides, whitewashed tombs, snakes, a brood of vipers. That doesn't sound too gentle to me, does it? I mean, he called them out for their sinfulness. He called them out for their indifference. But his spirit, the way in which he did it, was a gentle spirit. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. Never, ever forget it. Gentleness is strength under control. Paul describing his ministry to the Thessalonians says in 1 Thessalonians 2 7, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring for her little children. You see, there is a big difference between the way in which a nursing mother cares for her kids as over against how the babysitter treats those kids. The babysitter comes to be paid a wage. To come and to go. That may be for an hour or two, and then they leave. But a nursing mother, she, she nurtures that little baby. She cares deeply. She'll lay down her life for that baby. And not so with the, with the babysitter. I mean, babysitters don't have near that, that gentle care that a nursing mother has. And yet Paul says that in his relationships with the people at Thessalonica, he treated them like a, a he cared for them, a nursing mother. Uh, he was committed to them. He would do anything so that their spiritual lives would excel and bring glory and honor to God. He's teaching us that gentleness is an inner spirit which puts the needs of others ahead of our own. A gentle spirit is a considerate spirit. It is a courteous spirit. It is in control of itself at all times. It doesn't get easily upset. Gentleness. It enables us to relate to everyone. 
You know, there are some folks who can drive you up a wall if you'll let them. But if you can just be gentle toward them, if you can just come alongside and listen to them, you'll be amazed of what you'll learn about them because there is something about gentleness that brings out the best in others. Instead of justifying ourselves and thinking we're a little bit better than anyone else, when we are gentle with others, God works in ways that we could never never fathom. Now, very interesting as we study the scriptures, there are at least four specific instances where gentleness is needed. First of all, gentleness is needed when restoring a sinning brother. Look at this in chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 1. He said, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. Should restore him. Restore him gently. It's right in the book. You see, if you don't like what I'm saying, you can take it up with the author. I mean, it's right in the book. We are to do it gently. (laughs) Now, what he's talking about here, he's not talking about willful sin. He's talking about a brother that has a blind spot. Didn't intend to sin, it just happened. And it's something that caught him off guard. It's a blunder, a lapse, a slip, a mistake. He may not have even realized he had made that mistake. Paul here is describing a person who sins because he's been caught off guard. And who of us haven't been caught off guard? All of us have blind spots in our spiritual lives, areas of growth that we need to develop, weaknesses that we need to correct, temptations that we need to overcome. You see, moral breakdown never happens immediately. It's just the little thing. It's the little things. And what Paul is saying, when you see those little things happening in another believer's life, instead of ignoring it, letting it pass by, come alongside that person. But do it gently. Do it gently. Instead of dismissing the person's sin as frivolous or juvenile or trying to make uh, uh, cover up the person's sins with rationalizations, we need to help the person face up to their sin and restore them Gently. Gentleness. It is the healing touch that many who are struggling and who have maybe stepped on a banana peel and are maybe beginning to, to, to waffle in their faith. They, they need others around them who are so connected to them and to the Spirit of God at work within them that they reach out and take the initiative in restoring. Now, notice the last part of it. But watch yourself, verse 1, or you may also be tempted. You see, when you see another believer begin to dabble in areas that they shouldn't do, you can never say that wouldn't happen to you. You know, sometimes we, 
we, we take a look at what's going on in another person's life and say, oh, that would, that would never happen to me, man. If that, uh, Be very careful about that. We are all flawed human beings. And so when it comes to restoring, especially a person that is struggling a little bit, we need to, to love on them, not judge them, but love them back into a relation of full confidence and fellowship with the living God. Number two, we need to exercise this kind of gentleness when responding to opposition or criticism. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 and 25. He's talking to the pastor. He's talking to church leaders. He said, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone. Those who appoint him or who oppose him, he must, he must, he must. Do uh, you have your Bibles open? Do you see it? In the, it's right there. We must restore him gently. When we get criticized, instead of putting up our dukes and having at it, no, no. He wants us, when we are opposed and criticized, to do everything we possibly can to resolve the difference. And if that is not possible, at least, at least, the least we can do is to agree to disagree agreeably. <laughs> but, but sometimes, you know, we, we have folks and they criticize us, oh my, 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 my. And what do we do? We pull away from them. We don't want anything to do with that person. One of the things I've learned over the last 55 years as a pastor, that I can learn a lot from my critics. Uh, I, I, let me tell you, if you're going to be a leader today, you're going to face criticism. Any leader has a target on their back. If you want to avoid criticism, you need to do three things. Say nothing, do nothing, be nothing, and they'll still criticize you. So instead of allowing criticism to get the best of us, what I always try to do is, is there a little nugget of truth in that criticism? If there's not a nugget of truth, then I just let it go. I don't take it personally. You see, many of us, we take things that people say about us, or to, we take it personally, and then we build up a hurt and a wound, and it keeps us from relating in a way that would be pleasing to God. So when responding to opposition or criticism, we need to do so with gentleness, thanking God that he's brought that person into our lives. Number three, when presenting the gospel to earnest seekers, we need to be gentle. First Peter chapter 3.15 puts it this way, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone that asks you about the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You see, people are not one to Christ by coercion. You know, I remember a time when people would talk about getting so many spiritual scalps under their belt. Oh, how sad. 
You don't win anyone to Christ by ramming the gospel down them. You win them to Christ by having conversations, listening to them, responding to their questions, letting them make you feel uneasy. You know, Jesus was a perfect gentleman. He never forced himself on anyone. And when we are building relationships with people that God has placed on our hearts who don't know him, the way we reach them is not by ramming something down their throat, but by building a friendship with them and praying for them and asking God to open up their hearts so they too will be receptive. You see, when... The Lord puts a person on your heart that you need to win to Christ. He's also preparing their heart for the conversation. This is something we, we don't hear a lot about. I mean, if, God, if we really are concerned about lost people, do you see, you see, what, do you see what the transformation that could happen here at East Bay if each of us began praying for just one lost person? person a neighbor a friend and started building a friendship with them invite them out for coffee invite them to an event let them know that you care about them most of us don't even know our neighbors if we just started building relationships just one we can't win the world but we can reach one can't we can't we yeah yeah and so when we're presenting the gospel, again, we want to do it in a gentle way that is not offensive to that person and does not misrepresent Christ. There are some who by their actions misrepresent the, the one they claim to, to be devoted to. And so in our interaction with earnest seekers, we need to be very, very gentle. Number four, when communicating with one another, we need to be gentle. There are times uh, when we need to confront each other. We need to uh, admonish one another. Remember, Paul had to be very confronted with the Corinthians who allowed sin to go on in their midst. But he didn't do it harshly or in anger. He did it very gently. He was concerned for that brother who was sinning. He did so. When you have a difficult conversation, and most of us, the problem with many of us is that we, we avoid difficult conversations. We have issues sometimes with our brothers and sisters. And instead of dealing with the issue, we sidestep it. We go around it. We ignore it. We hope it'll just go away. But we need to have hard conversations that will build a sense of unity and growth in the family of God. And then the last one he talks about, this one is the one that's probably the most neglected fruit of the Spirit, and that is self-control. Notice, Self-control. 
is probably the one that most of us struggle with more than anything else. What does self-control really mean? It means to hold in with a firm hand. It means to keep yourself in check. When you're tempted to write somebody off or you're tempted to to go down a road and and you're responding in anger, the self-controlled person holds himself in check. Beware of your impulses. When situations happen to us that we're not prepared or we haven't been ready for, many times we respond impulsively. And yet the self-controlled person, the one who is spirit-filled, by the way, you cannot be a self-controlled person without, first of all, being spirit-filled. Spirit-filled individuals understand the power of self-control. This all goes together. You see, Paul is knitting together a picture of what he wants our inner characters to become. We're all people in process. None of us have this all under our belts. Anybody have all this under their belt? Let me see your hand. Let me see. Let me. Oh. I don't have it under my... I, I'm still a fellow struggler along with you. But you see, this is what God, he wants us to pursue after these inner qualities that will help us to be a blessing to others and will keep us as well from stumbling. Self-control is what distinguishes a man more than anything else from the animal kingdom. You see, animals are controlled by instinct. Believers are self-controlled. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he gives us an illustration. Just flip over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about this very specifically. He does so in athletic terms. Notice what he says. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever you see self-discipline being in control of yourself it's a grace of the spirit how many times sometimes when you've reacted to something do you have second thoughts about it ah shouldn't have done that shouldn't have written that letter Shouldn't have written that person off. We have second thoughts. We see that's the Holy Spirit nudging us. Nudging us to be more like Jesus. Notice what Paul says. He goes on to say in verse 26. Therefore, because an athlete, if an athlete wants to compete for a prize that may just last for a few minutes, we're running a race where we're going to receive a crown of life that will last forever. He says, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. Paul was so convinced that he needed to be a man in control of himself because one day he knew he would stand before the great judge 
of the whole earth. And he wanted to present himself as a fine-tuned athlete who had been going after the prize, the prize of winning people for Jesus Christ. And because of that, he disciplined himself. He took care of his soul. Are you taking care of your soul? Your soul, that part of you that no one else sees. We not only need to be accountable to God in this way, but this is where I believe we need to be accountable to one another. If you don't have two or three people that can hold you accountable, I would encourage you to enlist some people like that. People that will pray for you, people that will support you, people that form a triad of people that know you and love you and will hold you accountable. I'm convinced that we need friends that will hold us accountable, but we also need to discipline our lives so that we are living self-controlled lives for the glory of God. Notice what Peter says about this. Over in 2 Peter, keep your finger there in Galatians, but turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. This is really important. For if you possess these qualities, increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's talking about all these things that he's been talking about in verse 5. Add to your faith goodness, and goodness knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness. He's talking about all these inner traits that were to develop. Now he says, if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted, and forgets that he has been cleansed from his past sins. And so what he's asking us to do here is focus on what Christ has done for you and always live your life with the future in mind. And then the summation of all this is found in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14 where Paul says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let's ask God to develop these qualities within us so that when one day we stand before him, we don't have to hang our heads and say, well, I knew about these things, but, you know, it wasn't really important to me, so I just kind of let it go. It's kind of like the gardener who wanted a self-sustaining garden. He was gone a lot. So he hired a world-renowned horticulturalist to plant a garden that would take care of itself. He ordered a sophisticated sprinkler system that went on and, and it had the ability to produce chemicals that would help plants grow and all this kind of stuff. And he said, I don't, I don't want you to plant anything that doesn't grow on its own. He wanted to have a, a garden that he didn't have to take care of. 
And a horticulturalist looked this gentleman in the eye and said this, you know, if you're going to have a garden, you need a gardener. And we are to be the gardener of our spiritual life. These clusters of fruit are what we are to cultivate within our lives so they reflect Jesus. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you with thanksgiving. We come to you knowing that we are all sinners saved by grace. But you have changed us and you've made us brand new from the inside out. And we're so thankful for that. And as we just pause now and conclude our service by taking of the bread and the cup, uh, may we make sure that internally our lives are at peace with you and we are at peace with each other. Cultivate these qualities in me, O oh Lord. I have so much growing that needs to be done, every single one of us. So, Lord, put a passion in our hearts to become more and more like you. And we will praise you forever in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the men to please come and serve you communion. It's all in one little container. And after you have picked up that little piece of you know, I need one of these two here, uh, Jason. Uh, once you have received this, just take a few moments as the elements are being distributed. Do a couple of things for us today. Thank God for your salvation. Thank him that you have passed from death unto life. Thank him that his blood has cleansed you of all your sin. Thank him that you are a new child of God. If you don't know Jesus right now, just you can invite him into your heart. If you don't have a relationship with him, just, just let it pass by. That's okay. But this is a moment when we as Christ followers really want to remember all that Christ has done for us. So if you'll take that little container and turn it upside down and open the bottom part you'll find the little piece of bread this bread represents the body of Jesus Christ do you realize all that Christ went through to purchase your salvation I mean the mocking the scorning the ridicule he paid the price in full for us we don't have to add one single thing to what he's done for us and so this morning as you hold that little piece of bread in your hand, understand that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the life giver. And this morning, if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. You have the hope of heaven. You have everything because you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus. So as we partake, let us do so with thanksgiving. And renew our commitment to adore and to love this one that first loved us. Let us eat the bread together.
Then if you'll just turn that little container right side up, peel back the covering. This juice symbolizes the blood of Jesus. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. You see, there's life in the blood. If you've ever needed a blood transfusion, you know how important it is that you get the right type, the right kind of blood. And so apart from Jesus shedding his blood, we'd still be lost in our sins. But because he died for us and was resurrected, and the Bible says he's coming back again. The Bible says we are to celebrate all that he has done for us until he returns. So every time we partake of communion, it brings us just that much closer to that moment when the trumpet will sound and we'll be taken to be with him forever and ever. Let's drink the cup together in anticipation of that grand moment. Lord Jesus, we do love you. We adore you. You are our king. We love you. And as we leave here, may this sweet presence of the Holy Spirit that we feel right now go with us as we enter our mission field and share the good news of the gospel with those who are desperately longing for a relationship. They just don't know about Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to be light bearers for the kingdom of God. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. Maranatha. Lo, he comes. Have a great day in Jesus.